you know, you have to keep it disciplined and you have to do everything that, I mean, everything you, you suggested or other people suggest, I would try it. Everything, every time I'd watch a podcast or something, I would do it. I would incorporate it. So I think it definitely was helpful in my healing. This podcast does not constitute medical advice. All changes surrounding medications, diet and exercise should be made in consultation with a professional who can assess your unique health circumstances. Welcome to the Rheumatoid Solutions Podcast with Clint Patterson, helping you to live an easier, healthier, and happier life. Welcome back to the Rheumatoid Solutions Podcast. If you are a new listener to this show, then what we do is we provide information that is science-based and anecdotal and community-based and personal, all aligned towards reducing inflammatory arthritis symptoms. So it could be rheumatoid arthritis, ankylosing spondylitis, psoriatic arthritis, lupus, and all of the variations of pain that presents as joint swelling in an autoimmune sense. And many times on the show, we bring on guests who share their story with the Patterson program for rheumatoid arthritis, something that I evolved to around about nine or 10 years ago after recovering from my crippling rheumatoid arthritis. And today we have a guest who's going to share that story uh, and so much more uh, today is going to uh, really, really enlighten you about how you can make uh, this sort of lifestyle work in a family that doesn't all eat this way. Um, we're going to talk about uh, antibiotics. We're going to talk about non-steroidal anti-inflammatories. We're going to talk about um, the onset of RA after childbirth. And my guest to do all of these things is such a wonderful human being. Her name is Laurie. And we met at a live event that I put on in Anaheim back in September 2017, before COVID and when everyone could just go to a hotel and set up a bunch of chairs and do a presentation without any concerns. And since then, we've remained friends and she's been part of our rheumatoid support community online uh, during that time. And she's now inspiring others with her story of recovery from rheumatoid arthritis. She was going through some really, really, really challenging times She'll explain those in just a minute uh, and so much more. So, Laurie, it's been a long time coming, this podcast. Thanks for joining me. Thank you so much. It's definitely an honor to be here. Now, Laurie, give us the, the, the sort of the before and after, the 60-second the clip that we can then uh, share to online so people get excited about this episode. Like, Just give us like a real quick, couldn't do this, now I can do this, and then we'll get into the details. Okay. Um... In my late tw early 20s, I would say, I, uh, starting from then, I have always had some sort of body aches and pains, mainly my knees. And eventually it snowballed, you know, over various reasons into, you know, an autoimmune condition, which I later learned was rheumatoid arthritis. And basically went from in my early twenties, feeling like I was trapped in a body of an 80 year old woman. You know, uh, I always used to say that I always used to say, I just don't feel my age because I always woke up with aches and pains, um, to my low point. I had, you know, I had to have two surgeries in both my wrists. Um, there were, there were times where, um, 
my son would want to hold my hand and I couldn't hold his hand and imagine, you know, picking him up, you know, playing with him, taking him to the park, different things like that. Just going from being a very capable, strong person to kind of being completely unable to do anything, you know, and to now where I'm off all meds, I have so much energy all the time and I've never felt, you know, better. And so just night and day, I would say. Oh, no doubt about it. Um, did you um, did you ever reflect on what may have actually triggered this? I mean, did you go back to uh, look at childhood years? Like, were you, for example, a cesarean birth, lots of ear infections, lots of antibiotics, and then milk, milk, and then artificial milk? Uh, I mean, there's some connections that you've made about what may have been the trigger at such a young age. I think there's like Steve Jobs says, looking back, you could connect the dots. And for me, it's very clear. And it's funny you said the breast milk and the cesarean, because, you know, I remember when you when when I first signed up for your program, that was a question that was on your survey. And I was very interested as to why you asked that. So it's a topic I, you know, really looked into. But yes, I was a cesarean birth and my mom was hospitalized immediately after my birth. So there was no breastfeeding, no skin to skin, none of that. And then my childhood, when I look back at how I ate, looking back now, although we eat a lot of nutritious home foods, uh, a lot of it was, you know, high in fat, high in oil, dairy every single day. Um, You know, I'm Middle Eastern, so we love to cook and it's very flavorful and very delicious, but a lot of times it's not the most healthy. And, and the difference for me, I was always very athletic. I was very sporty. I was always playing basketball, volleyball. So I kind of got away with eating terribly, you know, and I never, never had a weight issue, never had, you know, but I would eat whatever I wanted, whenever I wanted, you know, um, never restricted myself in that sense. And the problems didn't start until after high school, where all of a sudden I stopped being active and stop the exercise. So, um, I would say around 1920 is where, you know, I still was eating the same way, but nowhere near the same amount of exercise. So that's kind of when the issue started for me. Yeah. It's a great illustration of a phrase that I like, which is exercise forgives dietary mistakes. hundred percent. Yes. And so this is, for example, a great little, uh, side note about something like the paleo diet or the keto diet. And the people who I see um, are managing to uphold that diet and keep symptoms sufficiently controlled are using a tremendous amount of exercise in their life. And therefore, um, which is a wonderful thing. Um, And uh, therefore, uh, in some cases are able to still maintain the negative impacts of meat of which there are countless. And I'm not saying that it's a smart strategy at all. It's not. But exercise forgives dietary mistakes, but it won't forgive the majority of people who have rheumatoid arthritis and allow them to get away with eating meat. So was there any additional one trigger? Like, was there an additional dose of antibiotics prior? So I I, I think it was after your child's first childbirth, right? No. So I kind of like you, I think you had um, antibiotics you took for acne. Yeah. And like, I don't know if you've ever watched the movie, My Big, My Big Fat Greek Wedding. Have you seen that movie? Oh, a long time ago. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, yeah, so, yeah. The, so the dad in that, um, like every time something's an issue, he says, I'll put Windex on it, you know? And 
my dad, it was like, take an antibiotic, like no matter what you had, it was take an antibiotic. And, you know, um, I kind of grew up in that, in that world of, you know, take Motrin, take antibiotics, take this. So aside from that, when I had, I had some acne issues as well. So I had antibiotics when I was maybe 16 and I would just refill them. Nobody, you know, they, I didn't even have to go see the doctor. They would just, I would call it in, they would refill it. And I think I was on it for two to three years. Oh, there you go, Laurie. Bless yeah. you. You and I, yeah. what did we do to ourselves? I don't like knowing what I know now about antibiotics. I'm just like, that's why I said you could connect the dots. Right. And so then when I started working, it was right out of high school. So I was eating the same way I was eating. You know, we would have pizza contests, pizza eating contests at lunch. And then, you know, I was on my feet eight hours a day. I was working at the bank as a teller. So my knees would be in awful pain, awful pain. And I would have to take anywhere from like nine to 12 Motrin a day, you know, at nine, 18 or 19. So, um, and again, I never thought it was so bad, you know, it's on the, it's on the warning label, but I was just like, oh, you know, my mindset at the time was just, you know, whatever you got to do. I didn't think of, I didn't put priority on my health or my body. It was just get, you know, get what you need to get done basically. Um, and then I went through a lot of personal stress in my life, um, 2007, 2008, 2009. And then, um, so I think that played a big role knowing what I know now about stress and leaky gut and just the, the role of the mindset. And then it didn't all kind of come together until after I had my first son, you know, um, I got into great shape, uh, prior to having him, I found cycling, which pretty much cured my knee pain. It was, you know, amazing, but it was intense every single day. And then once I got pregnant at around five months, I stopped exercising and then I had, you know, my son and then my issues started a few months after him. Mm. And um, in an episode with Dr. Richard Matthews called Hormones and Rheumatoid Arthritis, if you go back through the, um, the show listings on our podcast, we talk about the hormone changes through pregnancy and the impact uh, that this can play in autoimmunity. And Dr. Matthews talks about a lovely, lovely, I love this word, he calls, he says, the precipitous, as in falling off a precipice, change in hormones in the female body after childbirth. And so you've got the most extraordinary change of hormonal activity as the body readjusts from being in a pregnant state to, uh, you know, back to regular non-pregnant state. The changes are so fast. And sometimes that is a very high risk position for symptom exacerbation or developing rheumatoid arthritis. And so you've, you've got these two classic scenarios in terms of what caused this. You've got the classic taking antibiotics a lot as a teenager for acne, which is my story and so many others. And then you've got that, you know, unfortunate circumstances after childbirth. So at least we, at least, you know, as you say, there's a lot of dots to connect there. Yeah. And it's, um, you know, I learned a lot. I'm very interested in labor and pregnancy and the hormone changes I've studied, you know, and my, my first birth was completely different from my second birth. My first birth, I was very like, you know, I stopped exercising at five months mainly because everybody scared me, you know, it wasn't, 
I just didn't know any better, you know? And my last month I was pretty much on the couch or in bed because I had sciatic pain. I didn't, you know, I didn't know all the yoga poses you could do when this, you know, different things. I, and I, I really wish I stayed more active. I think that would have helped alleviate because also a lot of people don't realize that labor itself is, I had some, I heard someone say it's like trauma to the body because of what your body goes through during that. And it's, if you have someone who has that already recipe for disaster broiling, it could kind of, I mean, it makes sense how it kind of pushes it off the edge. And, you know, um, even as things like getting an epidural versus not getting an epidural or, you know, the hormonal changes that go on in your body that naturally help you cope with labor, you know, may not be happening. So definitely, I think the hormones play a big part. It's also the physical aspect, just what you go through and then the demands of the newborn, as I'm sure, you know, so it is kind of just presents the right circumstances, right. For yeah, th- kind of happen. thanks for expanding my comments into a much better, better summary. There's way more to it, isn't there, than the hormones. All of those extra things you talk about, they're going to play a huge, a huge role. So well done. Thank you. My my limited my limited statement has been definitely improved. Uh, so after that, we've got so much to cover here. You've got some great insights to share and, and all these wonderful things I want to talk about. So in terms of your story, let's just talk about really like where were you suffering the most? Where was it hitting you? What limitations did you have? And then let's move straight into transitioning after we met uh, to lifestyle changes, what you did, and then we'll share a whole bunch of tips and so on. So let's Let's talk about the struggle times, if you don't mind. So um, for me, what was hard is that my, it didn't present itself very clearly with blood at the beginning. So that was one of the first things my doctor did. Oh, let's do, you know, rheumatology panel. And it came back negative. So just ruled it out. Never went to a rheumatologist at that point. So I was always referred to orthopedic, orthopedic, orthopedic. So it was very much the approach of let's wear splints, let's do cortisone injections, let's, um, let's do an MRI. And then, you know, so I went through after my son, my, my wrists got really bad to the point where I couldn't pick him up or put him down, get him in and out of a car seat. It was just really bad. So after trying a lot of the therapies that were available, we did MRI and found out that, you know, I had tendonitis and I had, you know, at that point I was starting to get numbness in my fingers and a lot of tingling to where sometimes I couldn't feel my fingertips. And so, um, we did nerve tests and things like that. That's where they recommended surgery to take care of my tendons. And then once I did the surgeries, I didn't get better. You know, it it all of a sudden now I was getting pain in my elbow and then in my shoulder, and then my knees were always a problem. So my surgeon, my orthopedic uh, surgeon, he said, I don't think, you know, I think what's happening is biological. I think you need to see a rheumatologist. So this wasn't until well into, you know, I think my son was two and a half at that point that I saw a rheumatologist and finally, like started to think for the first time that this was an autoimmune type of condition. So she put me again, because I wasn't showing the blood markers, she kind of did this approach where it was, um, let's see what drugs you respond to. And that it's like a process of an elimination type of thing. So I I went on Plaquenil first, 
Then that did nothing for me. I went on sulfasalazine. That helped a little. Um, then, you know, she put me on colchicine. And then the, I had a bad reaction to that. So, and then she wanted to put me on Humira. So this was about 10 months from my, when I saw her. And at that point, she said, you have what I think, you know, your symptoms present themselves as RA. So I'm going to treat you for RA. And when she recommended Humira, was when I was getting lots of calls from her office of like, so you're ready to take the humor, you know? And I said, well, let me look into this. I want to know what it, what this is. And when I researched Humera, it made me very, um, I didn't like, I didn't want to go on that. And I told my husband at the time, I said, it's okay if I have to go on this at some point, but I don't feel like I've explored all my options. I want it to be like my last resort. I don't want to, okay, they, you know, just get on this pill. Because at that point, I was learning about the, I think it was when I had discovered, you know, I had just discovered your program and medications, and I just didn't want to go that route without trying other things. And that's when I found you. Um, and at that point, I was in a lot of pain. I couldn't cut my own food. I couldn't, you know, do anything for my son, really. Um, I, you know, I would breastfeed him, and then my husband would have to come and put him back in bed, you know, things like that to that extent. And I, at that point I was taking whatever medication I was on at the time, plus, you know, the 12 Motrins a day, um, just to get through the day. Once I started your program, gosh, there's so much that goes into it, but, um, you know, after that started, you know, um, getting better, you know, slowly, gradually. And so I think when I started your program, I was on this, uh, I tried to, it was right in that period of starting Humira, I didn't want to start it. So I didn't have any medication when I first started, which looking back, I probably should have gone on medication. But for the first year, I would say I tried to do it without medication. And that was tough because there's, you know, flare ups and things like that. And, you know, um, you, you want to, you know, you want to keep the inflammation down. I think that's one of the big things with your program. It was, I would flare up for something and then it would take me a long time to get back to where I was. So, um, yeah, I did your program and, uh, about a year into it, um, I was feeling really good. I started, I started your program September, 2016, and then I started Bikram January, 2017 and literally tried to follow your program textbook. And, you know, it worked really well for me for so many years. And now I'm at the point where, like I said, I'm off all meds. I think I took my last dose of methotrexate in maybe April of 2018. Wow. So you did go on methotrexate for a period of time. Yeah. So sorry, going back um, about a year into your program, yeah. um, I had hit a wall where there was a little bit of inflammation and I couldn't there's so many variables. I think, as you know, with obviously, you know, with the program, it's not just the food, it's how much sleep you're getting, how much stress you're under, um, you know, the weather, just so many different variables that it's so hard to control. And I think that's what I made the decision to go on the methotrexate along with my rheumatologist, who just to keep those variables to where if I wasn't perfect with the food or if I couldn't do something, I wasn't having to take so many steps back. I wasn't having to fall behind in, in so to say. 
I love it as a strategy and and in only recent times, and I've been repeating this a little because not everyone sees everything I do, um, but methotrexate has been shown to reduce leaky gut. So this is something that's only come to my attention in the last six months as I've seen the studies and I'm confident about this now. And so, you know, it, it's a supportive strategy to take methotrexate in our journey towards trying to, you know, heal naturally. You know, it's it's not a natural thing, obviously, it's an artificial medication. However, it helps us achieve the goals of our natural strategy. And what's interesting as well is that the mechanisms that are believed as to why it reduces leaky gut is purely because it lowers inflammation. Inflammation is the number one cause of leaky gut. The intestinal wall is hypersensitive to local inflammation around the gut wall. And, and inflammation, I, yeah. So yeah. And to me, it was like I, I experienced that firsthand because once I would have a flare up, it was so hard to control. It was like, uh, you know, this fire that you're trying to put out. So, um, like, and then, and then it kind of snowballs, right? Because then your mind plays a factor and then you're, you know, so it's kind of this whole snowball effect. And you, you taught me early on that inflammation causes more inflammation. And then, so I learned it the hard way. And I think, I think you did tell me to, st- you know, get on some meds at the beginning, but I, I, I was very interested in having more kids and methotrexate scared me because you can't have children when you're on methotrexate. But then it came to a point where this is going to help me heal faster. And it did. So I did get on methotrexate and um, it was hard because it causes a lot of fatigue and drains, drains your energy. So, you know, I, I, I didn't love being on it, of course, but it did help me, I think, get that final piece of inflammation down to where now I can recover. It's interesting, isn't it? I had the same love-hate relationship with it. For me, it reduced inflammation by about 60%, but I was in an extremely bad way. So my situation when I started methotrexate, let's say that I was an eight out of 10 of pain, multiple joints, chest, jaw, fingers, wrists, ankles, feet, God, you name it. And the course, the knee, I was a mess. So to lower that by 60%, thank you, Lord. You know, that's wonderful. Uh, I thought it was going to take care of everything. I waited so long. I thought, okay, take the meds, get rid of the pain. At least I've got, and it didn't. And that's when all held Oh, the mind is like, oh my God, you know, even with this drug, I delayed so long. Even now, I'm still in a lot of pain, still. Mm-hmm. 40% out of nine out of 10 is still a lot, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And but, um, I, I yeah. now I remember at the, before the methotrexate, it was prednisone that I was using to control. And I didn't do really, I didn't do well at all with prednisone. It was very, um, it was hard on me. So I, I think the methotrexate drain, draining my energy, a little bit of nauseous. I mean, it wasn't as bad as the prednisone was for me as far as the experience in taking it. Yes. Yes. So you've managed to get off that. And I presume that you worked with the rheumatologist on that and they said, fine, you can come down based on numbers. Um, you can correct me on that in just a moment. Then, um, then I'd like you to just walk us through how symptoms were after that. And then uh, then we'll talk about maintaining, you know, maintaining our health and and so on. So um, I think when when I started coming off the methotrexate, at that point, I had almost a year of 
consistent, stable results where I was feeling so good. I, you know, didn't have pain. I didn't have that roller coaster of flare ups. Like, whereas the first year I would have this, you know, up and down, it was just a very consistent, stable, you know, experience with the pain and the flare ups. It was very predictable. And, um, I was ready to get off of it. I was ready. You know, there's a, there's a fear in you, of course, where you're like, okay, is it the methotrexate all this time? Or is it, you know, everything else? And so, um, I did slowly start lowering it. And, um, I think at the time it was also that fear around, as you know, with this program and just everything, there's so many different, you know, faces to it. It's like, you have the exercise portion, you have the food portion, you have the mindset, you know? So it's almost like once you get it down, (laughs) you're scared to move away from that. You're like, yeah, like I know what I need to do and I don't want to move from this. I don't want to get out of this box because, you know, I'm safe in this box. And so I think at one point, you know, I was I was starting to feel better to where I felt like I didn't need to do all the little things I was doing, but I was at the same time really scared. And um, my husband said something to me where he said, if it's stressing you out, doesn't it defeat the purpose? And that kind of clicked for me. It kind of clicked that like, okay, I need to just take a step back and not be as regimented on everything and see what happens. Because even if I take a step back. I know how to get back to these levels. I know what to do. So it was almost like, you know, you're letting go of your mom's hand for the first time and just kind of seeing if you're going to survive. And so we made the decision. I talked to my rheumatologist and slowly, you know, came off of it. And luckily every dose I went down, nothing changed. And to where I took my last dose, I, you know, remember when it was and, you know, that was it. I never had to get back on anything, not even Motrin, not even, you know, anything. And that was July, 2018. You're a superstar. It's, and, and we just chatted about this before we started recording here is that yourself and I, who, you know, see inside our rheumatoid support community of which you are now a coach. So we'll talk about that in a minute as well. Um, we see other people all the time doing so well with their health and making you know recoveries getting off medications literally last night someone's like i haven't been off medications a new member i've been following the program haven't been on medications now for like six months i'm like okay great i was like well done uh and and having no pain and so forth we hear it all the time and we can often become de uh what's the word uh uh, sort of like complacent, if you like, about the amount of insane achievement that it is. It's not, I'm not referring to the achievement of coming off drug. I'm just showing you the achievement of becoming so asymptomatic, getting rid of so much pain that the rheumatologist says, you're good. I mean, what you've done is unbelievably awesome. And uh, it, it, must, it must sometimes dawn on you how far you've actually come. Yeah. And I think like, as we chatted before, it's like certain, you know, you almost forget all the things you couldn't do, you know, and there are times, and it happens a lot when I'm with my kids because, you know, 
the simple things that I couldn't do where to people, it might not seem like a big deal, like taking your kid in and out of the car seat or, or putting your own groceries. Like when people ask me, do you need help at the grocery store? I say, no, I want to, I want to carry my own bags because that's a big deal for me. I, there was such a long time where I couldn't carry my own bags or, you know, um, I, you know, the other day, two weeks ago, we we're at Disneyland and my son just wanted to be held for an hour. And, oh, you know, everyone's like, well, put in, you know, are you going to be tight? And I said, no, I'm fine. I'm so good that I could do this. And I, I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world. So, you don't, you get these little reminders, but there are times where I really forget how bad it was. And I don't know if that's just your mind blocking it out, but I could, you know, there were times my, my husband had to, you know, braid my hair. So I didn't look like a mess the next day. I mean, there were, you know, and I'm sure you have countless stories like that. So just being able to do the little things and um, not have pain, it's, like it's the best feeling in the world. Yeah, your um, your carrying the groceries uh, example reminds me um, when I'm at airports and you're moving around from terminal to terminal and there's long walks and so forth. Sometimes, particularly at Sydney Airport, there's some stairs here and there, and there's escalators. Of course, those travelators that take you up and down, so that <laughs> so that our Western society, God forbid, ever have to take one take step. The stairs, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I always try and take the stairs as much as I can. Me too. And, and on okay. cruise ships, uh, cruise. I used to perform on cruise ships all the time as a stand-up, and I used to go on there. And there's everyone's jammed in the elevator, and the <laughs> stairwell is empty. Right? The yeah. only kid, the only people on the stairwell are the kids <laughs> who love running up and down, and it's me and the kids on the stairwell, and I loved it. I know it's just the because. I mean, come on. We all can't think we can take the damn stairs. Take the damn stairs. Yeah. And I think it's one of those where you don't know the value of something until you've lost it. And yeah. for me, there was a period of time where I felt so like incapable and so um, hopeless. And just, I felt like, I felt like I lost my life. I, I lost my identity. I just wasn't the person I was before. So now it's like, I'm back better than I was before and able to do things I never thought I'd be able to do. Yeah, it is awesome. Let us talk now because it's because you know you've been well in inverted commas or you know basically uh you know uh, no pain and just you know living a normal life again in inverted commas for so long. You've created a uh you've got an Instagram page and it's PB and J living and you've got lots and lots of lovely recipes on there. And so what we've established inside our support group, again, is that you, are, you know, helping people who are having trouble trying to put some ideas together, sorry, just do some of the basics with food preparation, uh, how to plan two meals in case the loved one doesn't want to eat this way. Can you talk about how this evolved? How come you've become you know, so good at food preparation? Is it something that you love or is it basically a necessity because of all the changes you've made? And talk to us about that, this, this whole food preparation and making it, making it work in your family. Um, okay. So I've always loved food. Like I love eating it. I love making it. I love, I just love food. And so, um, for me, cooking is one of my favorite things to do. And my husband and I, you know, even when we were dating, we would get together and cook together. So it's, we both love cooking. We, we're in the kitchen all the time. So 
for me, it was when I first started the program, it was very hard. It was very hard. The biggest thing was dairy because I love cheese and I love, you know, a lot of what I ate had cheese and dairy. So I completely had to change how I ate completely. And it was, it was very much the, the, the food I'm eating, but also a mindset. And in, I come again, like from a Middle Eastern family. So food is a big part of our social construct. I mean, everything revolves around food, you know, any celebration and, you know, so the social aspect was very hard. Um, but over time it shifted my mind to the whole, you know, live to eat versus eat to live. And so I, it was very much eat to live. Everything that I put in my mouth was for a purpose. You know, you either feed, you know, your disease or you starve it. So it's just, I didn't want to put anything in my body that shouldn't belong there. And when you first start out and you learn all these things, you want to tell everybody and you want everybody to eat the way you eat because yeah, you're like, you know, where was I all this time? And you know, how come I didn't know any of this? And so at first I tried to tell everybody and soon realized it's, it's, you know, it's, it's, as we talked about before, it's a very personal choice. It has to come from the person, but luckily if I can't help, you know, with my, with certain family members, I couldn't change. They, they didn't completely all switch over to how I was eating, but they minimized a lot. So no fast food, no soda, you know, pretty much cut most dairy and, um, my goal was more to put in more of the good stuff. So, you know, green juices and green smoothies and, you know, probiotics and things like that. So luckily I love making food. I love, you know, coming up with new recipes. And actually in our culture, we do have so many plant-based type of meals. It's just, sometimes they have a lot of oil or you, they have, you know, you have to modify it. So a lot of the women in my family are great cooks. So it was taking those recipes, asking my mom or my aunt or whoever it is, what goes in this and how can I modify this? And what can I take out? What can I change? And even they would be surprised that I would, you know, make something without certain ingredients or modify it. And it wouldn't change the taste too much. It would still taste pretty good. And, um, you know, for me, it's, there was a time where I was just very okay eating the same things. You know, I got kind of comfortable and I don't, because you change your mindset to eat, to live. It's not like, you're not looking for fancy foods. You're not looking for flavor profiles and things like that. It's just give me the nutrition to, you know, nourish my body. And that's all I need. But when you're, you know, talking about feeding other people. And I think this happened to me when I was pregnant with my second son is I wanted the variety I wanted. And that's kind of when I explore started you know exploring different flavors and different tastes and so um i that's really where a lot of my recipes come from is from family recipes dishes and you know things that i love always have loved eating and just modifying it so i found a way to make pizza i found a way to make nacho cheese i found you know so and i'm now getting to a point where i'm you know having my friends and family eat these foods and they love it so you know, you could make this food tasty and nutritious and not bland and boring. And, um, you know, I just love that aspect of it. Mm. Yeah. Your foods pop off the screen. Like they look really vibrant. There are lots of color. Um, yeah. You have a way of photographing them that make them also sort of look really, uh, 
just desirable. And, uh, you know, we, we, we have to uh, utilize not just the fact that, hey, this food's going to help you improve your microbiome. That can only convince so many people. There's going to be still a portion of the population that just say, I want it to taste awesome and it needs to look good. I want my eyes and my taste buds to all align. And so that's what you bring that I have always been hopeless at. (laughs) I am hopeless at making the food look good. I am just well, like, because what you and I, I mean, for us, it's like, it's the same mindset. It's like, I don't need it to look pretty. I don't, you know, care for that. And I've honestly, I feel like the more you, you know, add, add to it, it kind of loses its, you know, I mean, you want to eat the food in the most whole basic form, right? So the more you mm-hmm. do to it, I don't know. It kind of now we're in this culture of the food has to look so like beautiful and some, you know, crazy things for it to be desirable, but it kind of loses what it actually is. And that's to nourish your body. So um, but with that note, it's just there. There's so much so many options when it comes to plant based, whereas, you know, you have meat, you have chicken, you have fish, like that's it mm-hmm. where, you know, in the plant-based world, there's so many things. And so when people say, oh, there's, you're so restricted. And I'm like, no, there's so many options. Like there's so much out there. And there was a time where I didn't know, I never used kale. I never used, you know, let the, I used lentils, but not that much or beans. It wasn't, it was always like a side dish, you know? And so it, it, I would buy a bag of salad and it would sit in the fridge for a whole week. I mean, I would go a whole week without eating salad, which is crazy to me now because I eat so much, you know, leafy greens and things like that, but it was just completely changing the mindset around food and how I cook and just working with what I had. And so I, you know, I feel like I still haven't even scratched the surface. Mm. There's just so much, so many recipes I want to try. And it's just a matter of time at this point, just cooking those elaborate type of dishes do require more time than just putting, you know, rice in the instant pot. So, you know, so you, you have an instant pot. Yes. I yeah, can't good. live without my instant pot. I, we have one too. We have one too. And, uh, highly recommend, very highly recommend. Melissa now has worked out the trick. You just, you know, it took us too long. We should have got one earlier, but we've only had one for about 12 months. Melissa oh, wow. just chops up the food. But yeah, I know. Um, poor Melissa. Chop, chop, <laughs> chop, chop, chop. She throws it all in the Instapot, puts the lid on, hits go, and then we can go and do something. Yes. We can leave the house. Yeah. And then you come back and the food's ready. And the food's ready. And that's that has been crucial to me where, you know, I work and I have, you know, to, to prepare something ahead of time. And that's the kind of hard thing with this diet is you don't want to be stuck where you you're you're really starving and you have nothing to eat because sadly there you know depending on what phase you're in there aren't, there aren't going to be too many options for you so um the instant pot is a lifesaver the vitamix is a lifesaver i mean i've gathered so many kitchen gadgets in the last 6 years but you know they all kind of serve their purpose 2 years ago my husband got me an ice cream maker and i make delicious you know ice cream and that that has been big for me because I love ice cream. So, you know, and I can make ice cream for my son and he could have as much of it as he wants because it's healthy. What do you put in it? Um, so my favorite is chocolate, but what's the main, I I make chocolate with, um, coconut milk, uh, Uh dates, uh, cacao, 
and like a little bit of almond butter and a little bit of sea salt. And then you blend it up in the Vitamix and then you put it into the ice cream maker. And 30 minutes later, you have ice cream. And before I used to do, I used to do nice cream. You've heard of nice cream? Yeah. In the Vitamix. And that's like, you need frozen bananas and it needs to kind of be a certain consistency. But with the ice cream maker, you could just put anything in the blender and then put in the ice cream maker and it becomes ice cream. I love it. Gosh. Okay. Now I'm sure the husband eats that, but he doesn't eat a lot of the other meals that you make. So how, what, what's your tips for people who are doing their own thing at home and the, and the husband or wife is doing something different. The kids don't like that. Give us some insights. So, so my husband um, eats a lot of the foods that I make that, you know, are not just like plain rice, you know, I'll make, you know, lentil dishes and things like that. And he actually eats a lot, but then you just kind of modify where for me, my dish might be my main meal. It might be his side, you know, side meal. And he might want a protein next to it, like a chick grilled chicken or, or meat. And so he has completely cut back on you know, the amount of animal protein he eats, but he hasn't fully cut it out, you know? And I think there was, I think it's Dr. Greger who, who said that you can be a hundred percent plant-based and 80% plant-based and you kind of achieve similar results. I mean, in a general sense. And so for me, if he's cutting back a lot and cut, he pretty much cut a lot of his sugar and his soda and all that. And then giving him all the greens, you know, even if you're eating a burger, you're going to have an avocado in it, you know, you're going to have a big salad on the side, you're going to have the green smoothies. So it's just adding those little portions for the other people in your family who aren't eating that way. Yeah, it's vastly different if you're only having uh, meat and some oily vegetables or in that, and that's optimistic for a lot of people. I mean, Western diet is, is, you know, often just pizza at night. And then in the morning, you might have some kind of crap bagel with cream cheese, and then you might with coffee. And then at lunchtime, you might have some horrible ham sandwich with cheese and on white bread. I mean, it's a nightmare. So what he's eating is, is, uh, you know, he deserves a pat on the back, given the, yeah. how healthy that sounds. Yeah. Um, and he'll he'll have, you know, quinoa salads at lunch or a rice bowl or, you know, having if you can't completely eliminate the bad is try to compensate with the good, you know, love it. try love to, it. you know, even my my oldest is very picky with food. And when he was born, I wasn't eating the way I'm eating now. So I didn't get him off to that start. But, you know, even with him, it's just just adding as many vegetables and fruits as I can, um, just to kind of offset the, whatever the bad is, but they, they don't eat, you know, junk food or, you know, so it's it's to a minimum even then. And I think you said early on too, once, which I do with my kids, you know, if they, if they go to a birthday party or if they're out with, you know, friend, I I'm not, you know, you could have the pizza. I don't go to that level. Cause when I look at the stuff I ate when I was growing up there, way better than I ever was. So I don't feel bad about it. Yeah, it's true. I grew up meat three times a day. That was our family on a farm. Um, my dad read, he loved self-help books, but the only dietary book he ever read just happened to say, you got to eat lots and lots of meat. And I don't know why books get published like that. But anyway, he read that book and he and that was his whole source of knowledge on the topic. So that's what we did convenient on the farm. So 
So anyway, uh, likewise, our kids, our kids, Laurie, they're eating far better than we did growing up. Yeah. And I think with, with my family, it's still a little odd because it's very much meat heavy. Like if, if you're not eating meat, you know, you're not healthy. That's very um, Mm. part of the culture. So um, it's just kind of shifting that mindset around what's healthy, you know? I'm very grateful to have, you know, at some point, I think people in, in that have gone through this kind of experience that where you're kind of grateful for the, for the disease in a way, I don't know if the disease is the right word or just the, the experience, because I can't see how my life would have gone if I kept going the way I was going. And, um, there was a time where I was in college and, I remember I would get out of work. I would have a diet Coke and then I would go to college for four hours. And then on my way home, I would get a large pizza that I would eat on my own. And that was, that was, that went on for a couple of years. And so it wasn't a good trajectory at all. Yeah, it was not. So I'm very grateful and I'm always grateful for the options that I have now for food. And I feel like it's, there's a lot of variety. There's definitely a lot of variety and I never feel like I'm missing out on something. Yeah. I, we noticed that recently. We're just getting out and about and doing things again, sort of as the city here opens up in Sydney and we're out and about and I'm finding so many options of things that I can eat, things that don't have oil left, right and center. And, you know, I, I don't mind like a little bit of sort of almost unavoidable oil in a bean burrito, for example, or a little bit of unavoidable oil at a restaurant, say Indian restaurant, where they're say serving uh, a, a dal and, and mm-hmm. rice and so on, uh, that's that's not concerning to me. But it's lovely, uh, and I should say at this stage for people right. listening, you should be cautious um, if they're not sort of at that stage. But but didn't even have to go to that. Didn't even have to do that. I mean, there were places around I'm seeing in the city that weren't there last time I visited that yeah, just I- offering yeah. Great I think options. I see more options coming up. I feel like it's kind of moving in that direction where people are offering, you know, more restaurants, more options. Um, there's a restaurant I found in San Diego that's completely oil free and it's a nice restaurant. They're opening one local to me. So I'm really excited about these options to eat mm. out because I think that's where that's the hardest part of all this is being able to eat out or being yeah you know, having two kids and a job and having to cook all your meals, it's very time consuming. It's, it's difficult. So, you know, I'm very, I'm very much looking forward to more options for eating out. And the oil is the hardest thing to avoid because even vegan restaurants, they're half the time. It's, you know, it's just because it's vegan, it's not healthy. And a lot of times they're covered in oil. So I feel like within the last two years, I've loosened up a lot about my oil where I allow myself to eat out and eat those dishes. But it's, you know, if I've had enough of a cushion to where I'm willing to take the risk, but if I feel like if I do it too often, I kind of have, you know, inflammation or pains that come up or I feel it in my body and then I have to go back. Yeah. I like, like, Exactly my experience back a few years ago, you know, that I explained in the, in the, um, in the summit that we did, I had that complacency set in. I thought I was bulletproof and I ate out at a restaurant. It was an absolute oil fest and, uh, and I suffered from it. And so 
you know, we can never get away from the from the fact that we have this. I want to say maybe like just this tiny, tiny, tiny little ember that may be simmering deep below the little sticks on the fire. And even if the fire is not visible and the medic and the the blood tests don't show anything's wrong and our sim- and our, our body doesn't feel like it's got problems other than damage that happened in the past that tiny thing if we pour some gasoline on that thing it will fire up again it will so yeah it will it will and i so- i, I 100% agree with that like it just um it's almost like you described it's like you don't you may not see it but it's there and it's just that like the what is it this the the straw that broke the camel's back or whatever. I don't remember mm-hmm. saying, but it's that one final bit. And then, you know, it's this big fire and trying to, it's almost like in quicksand. It's like the more you go, you sink in, the harder it is to come out. And so true. That's a great metaphor. I always love these metaphors. Quicksand is it. That's it. The more, the more That's how it feels to me, yeah. at least. Yeah. Like if I don't get it, if I don't nip it in the bud, it just, becomes really difficult to you know control i love it no that is so true um let can you just given in terms of time to can you just give us some quick bullet points of things for people who are familiar maybe with the with the approach that we've both taken and they're they're doing the patterson program or they've made some choice the most important things to you, they might be big things or small things. Are there a list of things or some you can think of that you would say, make sure you emphasize this or that? Um, I would say don't, don't cheat. Like don't take the little bits, you know, here and there. I think I did that a lot at the beginning where, you know, oh, I just, it's just a little bit of this and a little bit of that, but like, it's like that ember that it just kind of, turns into a big flame. So, so try as much as you can not to have those because it will set you back. Exercise for me was, and is still the, one of the best tools to, um, like you said, I don't remember how you said it, but you said it kind of helps you, um, get away with what is it? Exercise forgives dietary mistakes. Yes. And I think, um, even in my life, I have friends who, you know, may have an autoimmune condition, but they exercise a lot. So they do get away with a lot of the food choices. And I think when I was doing Bikram, there was a point I was doing it five, six days a week. And I didn't have, I I was at the best I ever felt. So to me, exercise is if you can, whatever form you can do, um, that's a big one. And then um, just lots and lots and lots of greens. Like even till today, and I think at early on, um, I had a really bad flare up and realized I was just had to up my you know intake of greens and just doubled everything. Everything I was eating, I just doubled the greens, and it made such a big difference. And even days where I would have big flare ups, I would have you know two big green smoothies, and then it would be gone. So to me, greens are very powerful, and I think they get you out of those really dark dark moments. Um, and then the, the, the third thing, which I think would be the biggest thing is the mindset. I think, um, mindset is a big factor. It's, it's a huge factor in how fast I think people recover and just seeing people through the journal over the years and their experiences. I think 
mindset plays a big, big, big role. Um, have you, with your mindset, have you ever struggled with this particularly in that, if, for example, has it ever gotten to the point where you felt, you know, I can't do this? I feel like giving up or have you always had a sort of a, a sufficient level of, come on, Laurie, you've got this. I mean, where, what, where, where has that gone from lowest to highest kind of thing? Oh, I think I've definitely been to where like, I don't want, I can't do this anymore or I don't want to do this anymore. And even before I started your program, mentally, I was in a really bad headspace. It was very, I was always very much in that, why me? Why is this happening? Just almost angry at the world and every, you know, just where I was and, you know, what had become of me. And I felt like this, just, you know, I, I guess anger is the best word to describe it. And so I had to completely shift my and like where I was focusing my mental energy of, of, okay, you're in this spot. Now what, now, what are we going to do? It's just kind of accepting where you are at every moment and um, not fighting against it, but working towards it. So there's that, you know, I found through the last few years with, um, you know, I found people like Deepak Chopra and Eckhart Tolle, and just, they've completely helped me change the way I think and where I spend my mental energy is focusing on the things you can do versus what you can't do. And yeah, there were times where, um, because there's so much you have to do, you know, as you know, in the healing where it's a lot, it's almost like a full-time job. And for me, I had put, you know, everything into it because I wanted to get better so, so badly. And, um, it, it's very time consuming. It's very, um, it's a lot of work, but the podcasts really helped me. Um, the, forum really helped me. And I think if, if those two things weren't there, I think I could have seen myself easily giving up. Um, but just knowing that there were people out there who did this and were now on the other side, gave me that hope and gave me that motivation. So I would have days like that, but it wouldn't last very long. You know, it wouldn't, I wouldn't stay in that mindset for too long. It would just be like a day or two. And then I would bounce back. But then once I found, you know, the, those authors and those people and watched a lot of their videos, it, it was no longer, um, I didn't dwell on those things anymore. I knew, I knew that I could do it and things like Bikram and things like this program, it kind of showed me that now I can really do anything I kind of put my mind to. So it was very powerful in that sense especially the Bikram, because when I first started, I decided to do the 30 day challenge. So I did 30 days and then I said, okay, I'm going to do the 60 day challenge. So I did the 60 days and I, and I did it. And, um, that was, it's like those wins that you get help you help you realize you could do it. You could do other things. And so definitely had the dark days and I'm sure there's out there people that do have the dark days and just know that just keep doing what you're doing just one day at a time. Don't think about, you know, oh, I'm going to be like this for years, just that one day at a time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's uh, it's normal, I think, to to go to those really low places. It, it would be weird if someone didn't with this disease, and especially when they say, okay, I've got this disease, and now I'm going to climb Mount Everest, and I, like metaphorically in that I'm going to now try and eliminate as much symptoms as I possibly can using these strategies 
and I'm I'm going for it. And um and uh, that's a hard thing to do. It's it's hard. Yeah, and that's why I'm always amazed at you that you did it without anybody to like look to. You know, you just did it of your own motivation. Where I don't, you know, I find that just remarkable. I there was a few things in my favor, and it was uh, as a unique sort of little mix. One is that I was working as a corporate entertainer, which meant I would get a week's salary by doing one half an hour show every week. Okay, wow. so I was working half an hour a week, and oh, okay, like writing a few jokes and showing up for the event and leaving. So let's let's call it like seven hours a week I actually had to work okay so that was one thing number two is I'd studied laser physics at university I was a super nerd and and then I was a nerd at a high tech so I had a very problem solving brain right (laughs) despite my career at that time because I my job I'd lost my job because of a tech boom collapse and then I lost my job so I was unemployed that's why I was doing comedy full-time I never wanted to and uh, and 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 then with that as well, I had a wife who'd been plant based her whole life. Oh, mm. mm-hmm. okay. So she's now guiding me in that direction. And we bought lots of books. And Mac- Dr. McDougal was the only person who wrote about stories of recovery for rheumatoid yes. arthritis. And so Dr. McDougal was, and then another gentleman, uh, Dr. Hiromi Shinya, who was a gastroenterologist. So I put the two together and thought, okay, it's got to be plant-based because these two people uh, and every no other success stories. Barbara Allen had written a book called Conquering Arthritis. And so I was doing consultations with Barbara and we got to a point where I kind of, you know, you kind of get to a point where you've kind of exhausted that sort of avenue and she was wonderful but I still had my symptoms and so on. So the journey began and then we wanted to have kids. I had to get off methotrexate. So the stick behind me hit me was very big, et cetera. And so the discoveries began. And yeah, so anyway, and I, yeah. I think when, before I found you, I had found Dr. McDougall and yeah, yeah. He, he was one of the ones that had success story, not just for RA, but other things. And um for me, when I heard your TED talk, it was very clear. Like it was, it's almost like the light bulb went off. It's like, I, okay, this is what's wrong with me. So mm-hmm. I was very much convinced, but yes, the day-to-day going on, keep continuing to do it, you know, <laughs> definitely. Yeah, that, was, that was Melissa. That was Melissa and I together. And uh, Laurie, he's, he's the absolute truth on this is I thought, you know, I guess the sort of like the first person who ever dis- discovered a piece of gold and realized the value of it and then started to dig and found there was more there and thought about the, the, the and this is not a metaphor about money. This is just like the metaphor about the potential of what's beyond. Because when I realized that if I don't eat, I feel like basically normal, right, pain-wise, and then I saw the studies that show this is the same for everyone with rheumatoid. Yeah. And once you know that, that if you don't eat, you feel perfect, and it happens with everyone, then it's a gut issue. It has to be a gut issue. Yes. There's no other explanation. And once and, I and knew to, that, yes. to this day, like the periods where I don't have food in, in my system, I 
it's the best I ever feel. It's to this day. And sometimes I'm like, I wish I didn't have to eat because it's like, if I didn't have to, it's not only will save me so much time, but, you know, but unfortunately we, you know, we do have to eat, but yeah, I never feel as good as when I have, you know, have gone long periods without food. And I think for me during the program, that was very beneficial is when I stopped eating my dinners by like four or five, you know, and I would say that's another definitely benefit because that would be, you know, I would wake up. That's the best I would ever wake up is when I started finishing my meals very early. So those long periods of fasting and just not having food and just letting the body heal and you know, it's, it's like the light bulbs, right? So it is. So that's right. And another way you, I used to cheat on that. If, if I was eating like a little bit later, you can also do an enema and an enema will clean out your bowels and there's oh less, my gosh. less uh, uh, toxic reabsorption or like, you know, uh, cross barrier from the contents of your colon. So, and I did yeah. that. I did the coffee enemas for for quite a bit. I did. I know we didn't talk about all that stuff, but I, um, the feeling from that is just unlike any other feeling. Yeah. yeah. And that was very helpful. <laughs> the things we do, Laurie. I know. Oh my God. Do. It's like, yeah, looking back, there was a lot, you know, and I think that was where the fear was is okay. If I stop all this, you know, how am I going to be? But yes. I think yes. there is that portion where you have to do you know, you have to keep it disciplined and you have to do everything that, I mean, everything you, you suggested or other people suggest, I would try it. Everything, every time I'd watch a podcast or something, I would do it. I would incorporate it. So I think it definitely was helpful in my healing. Let's get you back on down the track. I think your kids start school, you said in September. So why don't we look at something around that time frame? And I'd love to have you share your kitchen, what, how you set it up for your plant-based eating um, the tools that you use, I think it'd be great to see. Um, and just give us a little bit of a sort of a walk around and how you make all this tick so beautifully. That'll be a great thing we can do down the track. If you'd like to connect with Lori, she is on Instagram at PB and J, uh, living, uh, over at Instagram. Uh, and she's in our rheumatoidsupport.com uh, platform where we've got hundreds of members. We've had over 1,500 people come through this platform in the last seven years, all of which I uh, love to work with, get to know. And uh, and in our case, Laurie, we met in 2017. That was organized through our community. Uh, so come join us. Uh, you can join month to month or join year to year and, um, and take part in uh, all of the healing collaboration that we do as a community. Laurie, thank you so much for uh, for um, uh, sharing with us today, for being a friend, for being an advocate, and for doing what and for doing all that you do. Yeah, thank you for having me on. Thanks for listening to Rheumatoid Solutions. If you'd like to get more help to live an easier, healthier, and happier life, visit rheumatoidsolutions.com.